Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hey everyone, before we get started with today's podcast, I wanted to mention that I'm offering one-to-one emotional sobriety coaching sessions. You can book one-off sessions with me or get bundles of coaching that also include access to the Thrive Sober community. All coaching is to be booked by application as I only have so many places to offer and I really want to work with people who are deadly serious about getting and staying successfully sober. Head over to sassysobermum.com slash coaching to find out more information and submit your interest. Okay, let's dive into the podcast. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm joined by Luke from Toronto in Canada and he has just celebrated six years of sobriety. Um, Absolutely brilliant. Lovely to have you on the show, Luke. Thank you so much for making the time for me. Hey, Terry, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited to get into your story because obviously we follow each other on Instagram and I know that you've got some, um, you've been doing some work in this sobriety space. And so, yeah, why don't we jump into understanding a bit about who you are? So if you'd like to introduce yourself, that'd be great. Yeah. So listen, thanks again for having me. I've been, you know, listening to your show and following you for a long time. So it really is an honor for me to be here. So thanks again. I mean, where do I start? Um, you know, so I'm from Toronto, Canada. I am 38 years old, uh, happily married with a three-year-old daughter. Um, and just kind of like looking back and reflecting on my, on my journey. I mean, what, what puts the biggest smile on my face it makes me feel really good is when I look at my daughter, who's, you know, three and a half now, um, she's never met drunk daddy. She, I got sober before she was born. So that just makes me feel like really, really good. And, um, you know, that, that was a huge, like, that was my big why when I was struggling at the beginning, you know, what, what kind of kept me on track was that I wanted to, you know, to have a family and to have, you know, a child and not have them worry about, um, you know, uh, inconsistent father. So that brings me a lot of joy to, to see this actually happening. Um, but so that's where I am now, you know, very, very fulfilled, very happy. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't always like that. So, you know, kind of going back, I guess, into my story is, um, I would describe my addiction and my drinking as, um, uh, as alcohol use disorder. So I never craved alcohol ever. Um, I never drank alone ever, but when I did start drinking, I had a hard time stopping. Like I had had a hard time finding that off switch and, you know, it wasn't always like that. You know, I had a lot of different stages of drinking, you know, different um, parts of my life, you know, but when things really escalated for me and, and really got out of control is after university living on my own. And uh, when I got introduced to drugs, when I got introduced to cocaine, things really accelerated for me and got really bad because it was no longer the drinks that were enough. You know, three, four beers was never enough. It was always like, what else, what else can I do? And when you're doing that kind of stuff, you know, you're really transforming into someone else. Like I was a different person and um, it was, you know, and that's when things really accelerated. And I knew that I wasn't on the right path. The trajectory that I was on was just not going to work out. And that's when, you know, I had to really look deep and within myself and, and make some changes. Yeah. Um, I think when that kind of marriage, that destructive marriage of, cocaine and drinking the party just never really ends or or it it just extends doesn't it and I 
I, I speak from personal experience um, on that as well. And I think I can say that my drinking turned a kind of dark corner um, when I got into a very salesy environment and it was very work hard, play hard. Yeah. And it was like after, you know, yeah, we've hit target. Woo. Yeah. You go to the bar and then by seven o'clock, you're already a pretty much bottle of wine in. And then yeah. it's like, right, okay, who's who's calling someone? Who's sorting that stuff out? And yeah, it's just, it's such a murky world but once you but it's but it's so easy to just fall into it I think if you're if you're surrounded by it and if you have that no off switch I was the same I I didn't drink all the time but I when I drank I when I was out I really found it hard to stop I could do it better at home I could be a little bit more like no I've had a bottle and I'll you know or I'll have a bottle in the glass and that's it but when I was out it just was like yeah let's just go mad um and it's it's yeah it's a very it's a spiral isn't it unfortunately how long was that period how long did you do that for just out of interest yeah I did that for a for a while I would say good probably you know try to think university 25 20 yeah probably a good like six seven years Mm. and the thing that that made it difficult for me was that I always convinced myself that it wasn't that bad, right? Mm. You know, we talked a little bit before we went live, you know, I, you know, I worked in, you know, tech sales for you know, a really long time. So I always had a good corporate job mm. and, you know, I, I, you know, I have, you know, a lot of things that I thought were, were important, right? So I, 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 it was easily to convince myself that it wasn't that bad. And like you said, the work hard, play hard mentality, it's like, no, I deserve this. Mm. I worked all week, I was I, I took care of all my business. So on the weekends, I'm actually going to get really messed up, and I and I deserve it because uh, you know this is what you do: you work hard and then you play hard. But yeah. that mentality is totally is is I find so many people, so many people I'm talking to, so many of my clients that I'm working with, they have they have that's they have that innate in them: work hard, play hard. But that catches up to you. Mm. So I. I tried for a long time to, to moderate, you know, I, I was aware that, Hey, this is disruptive. This is, this is not good. So I, I was working with a, with a therapist to moderate my drinking for years. So I was probably in therapy for, I would say well, at least three years where we were trying to moderate and she was helping me, you know, like exactly that be in better control of my drinking knowing when to stop and all these things and you know just just my background right I'm, I'm half Italian my father's from Italy this whole family's from Italy and my on my mom's side French Canadian so very social you know alcohol always around always having people over very social family so that's that's how I was raised and then just the whole concept of you know, going sober was, was, the, was terrifying. Like there's no, there's no way I could do that. Like, are you crazy? So I was always moderating, moderate, moderate. And it was just, it wasn't working. It just, it just didn't work. You know, yeah. I kept failing and I kept disappointing myself, disappointing so many people close to me. And it's just, it wasn't good. So, so after a really bad episode, another episode in, in December of 2016, I got sober December 31st of 2016. So after a bad episode around the holidays, I just, I just, I don't know, something, I woke up and I was just like, I got to try something different. So I went on Google and I Googled a therapist in Toronto, another therapist. And luckily, lucky enough, I, I kind of call it fate. I met, I met this person within a couple hours of emailing him and we sat down. And he said something to me, looked at me in the eyes the way no one has ever looked at me before. And he said, Luke, you can never be drinking again. And I was just, I was like, what do you mean? No, there's no way. Are you crazy? And I was debating him, but I had never, I had never had anyone talk to me like that. And after the session was over, I went to my car and I just sat there. And I started crying. I just, I just started crying a lot because I knew I'm actually getting shivers right now. I knew that he was right. So that moment, like just that simple thing of someone 
saying that so direct because all my therapists are like, no, we can work on this. Like very like supportive and like trying to make me feel good. And mm. you know, my extended family, my friends, they were so very supportive. They didn't want to make me feel bad, but this person just went head on with me and I needed that. And once that happened, I was just, I became open-minded. I became open-minded to, to try, try things. And that's when, that's when the, that's when the fun started. Wow. That's when the magic happened. That's when the, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. God, that is what a life changing moment. Well done that guy. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, so do you think then for you, that was the main turning point in terms of accepting that you can't moderate or or did you carry on with your drinking for a bit what happened so I think in that moment kind of the light went on Mm. and I was ready I think that's the key Mm. is that you need you know wherever you're at in your journey you know when you're ready and I was more ready than ever because I had failed so many times I look at all of my failures all of my, you know, regret, all of my shame, all of my embarrassing things that I've done that, you know, I, um, I don't, I don't, you know, probably never talk about again, but all those things needed to happen. That's, this is, this is where I'm at now. All of that needed to happen to bring me to where I am today and to where I was when I decided it's time to put the work in and really be like open-minded with that, with that whole experience. So that, that's where I look at now. And I think that's such an important part that I didn't realize maybe at the time that like forgiveness, that self-forgiveness, you know, uh, is so important. And I didn't do that right away, but I, I definitely am there now. Um, so it's, it's helped a lot. Yeah. I think that's a really lovely point actually. And I would say, I know with people that I help in my own group, and also people um, that write messages on Instagram, the self-compassion bit, it's not there straight away. It's hard, isn't it? You know, you often get sober because, like you said, you're ready. You've got to a point where it's either your lowest point or you're just so fed up and so tired of being in that zone where you're not happy or you're 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 running at 50% or you've, you know, fed up of the self-loathing and you carry a lot of shame into that early sobriety phase, I suppose. And it does take some time, I think, to sort of peel back those layers and forgive yourself and also appreciate that actually if you hadn't done all those things or said those things or made those mistakes, you wouldn't be where you are today. And that, I exactly. think that is, I think that is a really, 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 really beneficial and fundamental part of really moving forward in emotional sobriety is just that self-compassion, that self-forgiveness piece. Yeah. You know, don't worry about it people that are listening to this don't worry about if you haven't got that in the first six months it it, it doesn't it can build slowly I mean you're six years in I'm about to celebrate four years in every year of sobriety is rich in its own way it brings different things and different perspectives different growth different identity shifts so much happens and changes but one thing that I think remains quite consistent through that is at some point you do start to find that self pride and that sort of self love and that self compassion and all those self yeah. things. And yeah. that sticks around. Like once that's there, yeah. it's pretty unbreakable. Exactly. It's so true. I relate to everything you said. I love that. Cause if you think about it, if you really break it down, you know, I'll speak for myself. Why did I drink so much? Why did I use so much? I wanted to feel good. At the end of the day, I just wanted to feel confident. I wanted to be like, I, I just, I wanted all these things. But when you, when you, again, when you, when you break it down with sobriety, that gives you so much, like the end state where, where I'm at now. Yeah. I struggle. Yeah. I have bad days. It's not all rosy, but I've never been more 
confident in who I am. I've never been more, um, you know, proud of who I am. There's that, that identity shift that you talked about is, is true. I have, I found myself, my authentic self. I know who I am. I know who I'm not. I'm, gonna try, I'm not trying to people please. All those things that I was looking for in the bottle and, and, and the drugs, I found in sobriety. And that's the craziest part is yeah. that you never, you, you, you can't see that, especially when you're starting. It's like, this is the worst thing ever. This is horrible. I'm being excluded. I, I'm losing myself. I, all these things naturally happen, you think, but, but it's just, you know, Terry, yourself, you know, so many people we're meeting in this community. We're just, we, we have this, you know, honor that we have or this, this privilege that we've gone through it and that we're sharing our story to, to show people, Hey, you can do this too. You can 100% do this. You know, we're not special. Like I'm not special. Okay. I'm just a regular guy. And, um, and I was able to do this and you can too. I mean, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a lot of work, but you can absolutely do this. And there's just so much, so many better days ahead. Yeah. So much to gain from it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, um, Talk to me about the day that you woke up and you were like, that's it. What did you do? Yeah. So when I went to see the the therapist, kind of had that aha moment. And then what he did was he had suggested that I do group therapy um, through uh, CAMH in Toronto, which is Center of Addiction and Mental Health. So he had strategically, I guess, put me into group therapy with people who were pretty advanced in their addiction um, with drugs, especially. So like I said, you know how I was sort of fooling myself that it wasn't that bad because I kept a job, et cetera, et cetera. So in this group that I went to, and I only went to two, two or three meetings, but I saw what I needed to see is that I was put in this group that where everyone was so advanced. I'll give you an example. We were going around the room kind of sharing, you know, where we're at and on our journey, et cetera. And I had mentioned this app that I had downloaded to keep track of my sober days, like super early, like, you know, keeping track of my days. I thought it was really cool. So I was like, Hey, I downloaded this app. I've been keeping track of my days. It just makes me feel good. And everyone in the room looked at me like, you have a phone, like you have a phone. Wow. Like, I don't have a phone. I was like, holy smokes. This is, this is the trajectory that you're on, Luke. Like this, this could be you like, stop pretending that you're invincible here. Okay. This could, this could be you. And so that was that kind of, I guess to say, you know, maybe, you know, that rock bottom that I was close to, but I hadn't hit yet, but it gave me enough, um, give me enough, vision to see that hey that could be you so once that happened I did two sessions saw what I needed to see and this is where I kind of didn't do it right in the sense that I thought I could do it on my own and I did do it on my own like my recovery journey was very much Luke on his own and I'll tell you why the biggest reason and this is part of the reason why I'm so excited to be vocal and be on, you know, speaking with you and all, and doing all these things that I'm doing now is that I want people to learn from my mistakes, right? I want people to learn from my mistakes. And I was, my biggest mistake that I made was that I was so embarrassed of my sobriety. Like, that's it. I was never talked about my sobriety. Like, no, when I came out that I'm sober, and I was proud and I, you know, it fought when I hit the five, when I hit five years. So it took me five years of sobriety for me to feel comfortable telling people because I used to lie. I used to dodge the question. I mean, my immediate family knew, obviously, of course, my, my girlfriend, now wife knew, like people close to me knew, but no one outside of that circle, my colleagues didn't know. I didn't tell my colleagues. So I was just really good at hiding the fact that I wasn't drinking like either alcohol free in my hand or um, dodging lying, like just, so I struggled a lot with that. And that's, I had, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. And that's a huge mistake, huge mistake, because 
when it, once I made that shift, you talked about identity shift. Okay. I had a huge identity shift once I, once I started sharing and I just, I found, I felt empowered and I started feeling proud. Everything changed for me. Everything changed. So my journey from, you know, from the beginning to where I'm at now, the biggest change was when I did, made that identity shift and I started being proud of my sobriety, connecting with other people and just, you know, just owning it yeah. changed for me. So biggest thing is I would, you know, and I know that takes time. Everyone's different. You can't, okay, that's great, Luke, identity shift, but I'm struggling. Like, uh, of course, but don't like, connect with other people and and don't feel alone and, and just, and, and, and be proud of yourself. Like this is such an empowering, this is such an amazing thing that you're doing for yourself. Own it. And I didn't. And I, that's part of what made it so hard for me at the beginning or beginning five years is that I was, I was like in this battle with myself and I, like if I could go back, I would, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't because again, it brought me to where I'm at today. And I feel even more empowered to share because of that. Yeah, that's quite remarkable. Actually, five years is a really long time. Um, may I ask, do you think maybe some of that has to do with the fact that you're a guy? In in and what I mean by that is um I know the statistics at the moment are that in AA, for example, 80% are men, because the theory there is that men wait longer to get help typically than women because women are more I guess a little bit more open with their feelings and vulnerability and it's not as natural or as easy for a man at the moment although I do think that's changing thankfully because of people like yourself but you know do you know what I mean it, it, it's it's yeah, harder do. maybe do you think that has I do. To do with it I 100 percent Terry 100 percent and I'll tell you my father okay Italian man amazing man um, he struggled with alcohol big time. Okay. He was an amazing father, but he struggled big time. And, and um, he, you know, being Italian, you know, ego and, and just never showing your emotions and trying to be the quote unquote, the man, you know, which, which what is like, that is not, uh, that is not a man where you just keep everything to yourself. So that's kind of like, that's, I guess, how I was raised in a way, right? Yeah. That's That was my father. So naturally, those qualities came inside of me. But that's, you're absolutely right, it, it, you know, with men. So that's, again, another reason why I'm so excited to be talking and, and sharing is that I want to show other men that, no, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it, you, right? You want to be vulnerable. You need to be vulnerable and open. That's mm -hmm. That's where you... That's where the, you, when you let that guard down, it's the most liberating thing in the entire world. And just be opening, open with yourself and others. It, it's an amazing thing. And, um, you know, it, um, and that's like when I first started sharing and connecting, I was really made a point to do men only things. So I was doing like men groups, mm. um, specifically just for men for that reason alone, because I do think it's a little bit, um, unique and with males and, and ego and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I, I, I want to answer your question. I, I think that's a big reason why it took me so long to, to kind of be more open-minded with all this. Yeah. And I think your, um, your point there as well is so true in that if you share the things, if you're vulnerable and you share the shame, it loses so much power. It just takes so much of the power away and it doesn't suffocate you as much. And it's actually really, really therapeutic to share that shame. And yeah. I think I think that I know, um, I think on my own personal, uh, on my Instagram feed, there was a point probably this time last year where I really started to openly share how I was feeling and how I used to drink and how much you know the bits that I didn't like about my drinking I used to share and I I was overwhelmed by the amount of response for, for that sort of stuff because I think people do so much of it behind closed doors and you know everyone does whether you're male or female 
But that just coming out and bringing that shame and those experiences and the things that I was embarrassed about when I was drinking, bringing that out into the light, I just, I really feel like that helped others to bring their shame out as well and to expose that parts of themselves. And I do, I, I think that's so healing. Yeah, it really is. It really is scary, like really scary to do. It's hard to do like at first. Yeah. Very hard to do at first. Yeah. So um, what about when, so in that first, I guess, obviously the first part of your sobriety, well, whether it's a year or all the first five years, did you do, what did you do to support yourself? I know obviously you told cl- very close um, family and things. How did they respond to that sort of thing? So obviously that would that was probably quite a big challenge for you if you have got quite a sociable family and I understand yep. I've got friends that are Italian and French and sometimes I one of my Italian friends said to me I wish so much I could do what you're doing Terry but there's just no way I can yeah. do it because my family's yeah. Italian and you know there's just no way and I feel sad for her and I want to say no you can do it and, but you yeah know, that's, that's not really my place um to do that but yeah how did all of that go um so my family so my wife was obviously super supportive because I met my so we're married now right uh since 20 we got married in 2016 we met in 2011 and we're 2020 so 12 years together I was you know using and drinking for about half that time so you know poor thing I put her through a lot uh, but she stuck around I mean how lucky am I so she was my biggest champion she was my biggest champion and nice. she helped me, you know, so many, so many ways. I, I can't even begin to explain, but having someone who's so close to my, my, my number one, um, always having my back that, that helped me so much because she would be like a decoy for me in situations. She, she just had my back. And, and honestly, if it wasn't for her, I, I frankly don't know if I would, if I would even be here to be honest. Um, so having her was, was crucial. Um, my, my brother, my immediate family, they, 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 they respected me a lot for it. So I had that comfort in my close circle. And the way I look at it is when you have the comfort in your close circle, the people who matter the most, the rest is just noise. Mm. The rest is just noise. And that's what I started realizing the people who, who were maybe saying things, teasing me. Cause that happened a lot, especially at the, at the beginning, especially my first couple of years. Like I find that now because of, of people like, like you, I, I'll add myself to that category. And I, and so many others, we're, we're slowly breaking down the stereotype. We are, we're making a huge difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, and that's, we should feel really good about that. But when I first started, I, uh, I found that I was getting, you know, a lot of different comments, a lot more than I'm getting now, put it that way. And, you know, naturally I I struggled with that. I I really did because I was always just who I am was, I was very much a people pleaser. And that's part of the reason why I also drank a lot is I wanted people to, to like me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to, you know, all those things. And I cared a lot what other people thought, like Mm -hmm. I really did. Like I really, really, really cared. So yeah. when I first got sober and I was going to those events, I still cared what people thought. So I still struggled. Um, but I really just leaned on kind of the why. I always went back to like, okay, look, this this is hard. This this sucks. Like, let's be honest, this is not fun, this sober thing. But like, why are you doing it? Why? And I and I kept repeating that to myself and and my why was was strong enough to keep me on track in those moments. Um, I also, what I think I did well was I I prioritized myself. Eventually, like I, I by that I mean I would exclude myself, or I would just I just either wouldn't go, or I would leave early, or make excuse. Like I was good at making excuses, and that was comfortable for me, and that's okay. Like there's no there's no blueprint. There's no hey you need to you need to be open with your sobriety and you need to tell people right. Like maybe for some that's great, but for for me it didn't. I didn't need to do that. And yeah. and um, you know so I I figured out my path what worked well for me in those situations. But 
that close knit circle helped me incredibly. And I just, that's, that's what I just kept saying to myself slowly was that the, the outside, the noise, like the cousins, the uncles, the, the extended family, like they're not living with me all the time. So you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about them. I'm not going to worry about them. Yeah. And what about, I'm just interested now, actually, what about how things are now? So obviously your immediate close uh, circle. I love the way that you describe that. If you have comfort in your close circle, you know, that's all that matters. I think that's really lovely and so true. What about now? Is it just that they've accepted it? I mean, the sort of wider circle or your friends, have they accepted it? Do they, do they still, are they mocking you for it? I mean, how, how does that sit now? So I feel that now, even if they don't necessarily agree or, or see eye to eye with me, I, I don't, I'm not really feeling that. I'm feeling a lot of support. I really do. And I feel that I'm getting a lot of people that, you know, I, that are reaching out to me and that are either relating to me, even close friends, like some of my high school friends, some of my high school teachers, just wow. so many different people have, you know, in, in a way or one way or another sort of thanked me. And I'm sure you were getting more than that, but I find that a lot of people, especially in the society we're in today, I feel like we're making so much progress that I'm even getting friends who, my, like, look, 90, 99, 98% of my circle of people I know drink. My wife still drinks. Uh, you know, pretty much everyone I know still drinks, but I like to think, I like to think that by being so open and sharing and all these amazing people that are doing the same thing that at the, at, at the worst, we're, we're making people more, more aware or, or taking mm -hmm. an, an, a time to, to, to reflect on the relationship with alcohol. Cause yeah. I even have close friends who still drink and they said, you know, Luke, you, you made me think, you made me think twice or, you know, maybe I don't need to have that fifth drink or, you know, situations like that. And that to mm -hmm. me makes me feel that makes, honestly, that makes me feel probably better than, or just as good as people who say, you know, thank you. I needed this. I'm on my sober journey. But like the people who are being more mindful, like that's what this is about. Eh? Yeah. This is not sober versus not sober. This is not demonizing alcohol. Like I have no issue with alcohol at all, but I just know for me, for myself, for my well-being, this is, it doesn't mix well with me. What I like to say, I like to simplify things. I, this is what I say. I'm allergic to alcohol. I'm allergic to alcohol because that's something that I can say to my three-year-old, you know, because actually one time my, my, my nieces, they're a little bit older and uh, she made a comment, like she was watching one of my videos or something and with my mom. And she said like, why, why doesn't Lukey, why doesn't Lukey drink? Because they were watching a video. And then I, I looked at her and I said, because Lukey's allergic, Lukey's allergic to alcohol. I get rashes. I get really itchy. Oh, oh, okay. Like she understood that. And not that I'm like, when she gets older, of course I'll have the car, but she's so young. So that's what I say to myself is that I'm allergic. If I was allergic to peanut butter, would I tease myself with a little bit of peanut butter? No, absolutely not. I would not be pen. It would be scary. That's how yeah. I look at my sobriety. Yeah. That's how I look at alcohol. When I see it, when I'm, you know, when I'm feeling a little complacent or I'm feeling good, like I got this thing, I'm on walking on the street, people are drinking on the patio. My mind still says to myself, you know what, Luke, it would be fun to to have a drink. Like you earned it. You've been sober for so long. Yeah. But then yeah, that other voice comes in and says, No, Luke, you are allergic to that. Yeah. And then I say, Yeah, I am. Yeah. And then it just, you know. <laughs> That's no good for me. That stuff. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, it's funny, actually, what you said about, because I, I do think that having the conversation with younger people or our children, so my children are two, seven, and nine, okay. and um, and obviously the two-year-old can't even speak, she can only say cat and dad, <laughs> she's, she's out, she doesn't need to know, but, um, but my seven and my nine-year-old, they are aware of my they're only briefly aware because they don't have social media they're too young but um they're aware of that mummy does this thing about not drinking and um they know that I 
I, I'll say mommy doesn't drink alcohol, she doesn't drink wine because I, I, I share my children with their father, we co-parent. Um, and so they're 50% with him and he just lives down the road and they're 50% with me and we have a good relationship and, you know, all of that stuff. But he might have a drink or his family might have a, you know, um, a meal and a drink. And so the girls get to see, because we don't really drink in this house. My my husband doesn't drink very much, maybe just a beer at Christmas. So we don't really have any alcohol in the house, and but they might be exposed to it. So they have some knowledge of, you know, wine and beer. They've seen a family member have some beer and fall over and everybody laugh type of thing, you know. <laughs> So I I always say yeah I mummy used to mummy used to drink wine and now she chooses not to drink wine because it's not very it's not been very good for me or you know I have those sorts of levels of, of conversations and I'll say and and mummy helps other people that don't want to drink wine I I don't know how much they really get it I don't think they probably get it that much to be honest um, they just mm-hmm. think that I'm famous which I tell them that I'm not <laughs> which but... you are which you are <laughs> yeah, no, <it's> small. <laughs> you are you're yeah. a celebrity in our world yeah. <laughs> but, but no I, I always say you know no I'm, I'm not I'm not like the 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 YouTubers you watch you know I'm not I'm not in that realm but yeah I mean I I I think with things like that, it it's it's just so important to honor what works for you and what you feel comfortable with. And I, I really like what you were saying as well about basically, you know, you did you get to design what your sobriety looks like. You get to label yourself if that's what you want to do or not. And and I think sometimes there can be, just sometimes there can be a little bit of unnecessary expectation in that sometimes people will want to put you into a bucket you know you're this sort of person and don't even maybe even know you and I think that it's important I always try to empower people that look you get to choose what is working for you you can go out there follow all these different accounts read all the books listen to the podcasts maybe try some groups try AA do whatever you want do it and then work out what's right for you and what your story is, because you get to choose that. You are the director of that narrative. And I think that's yeah. really, really important. I think people need to know that there isn't a template that you have to follow. You don't do sobriety. You can't do sobriety wrong. You know, there's no there's no way that if you're trying to change your life for the better and remove alcohol, no, 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 nothing about that is wrong. Um, and I, I just, I want to live in a world where we really lift each other up for the brilliant choices that they make, no matter what those look like to try and mm-hmm. remove alcohol. If it's not, if it's not serving you and if it's not working for you. Um, and yeah. yeah, for me, I think, um, mixing up points here, but I think with the, with my children, for me, they my children are, are, are girls and I got into alcohol quickly, you know, at 14. And then I was drinking, very regularly with my friends in the park and then getting into trouble and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I feel protective, obviously, of my kids. I, 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 I don't, I'm not naive in that I don't expect them never to drink. And I don't really want to be that parent that sort of forces them, you know, you cannot drink, blah, blah. But I just, I want to educate them on it. And I just, I yeah. want to be the education that I feel like I lacked. And, um, and I want to be, up front with them about look you know in social situations if you drink too much to the point where you don't know how you're getting home things can happen to you and there are issues with consent and all of that type of stuff and then now we have this whole social media thing as well that we didn't have when we were younger in that you don't know who's filming you and blah 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 and cyberbullying and all that other scary stuff so I think I will be personally I'll be quite open quite I've started to be open with them now, seven and nine. The nine-year-old sort of gets a little bit more. But I think in the next couple of years, I, I, I really, really want to continue that story with them about the choices that they make with things like alcohol and and drugs. Um, so yeah, you're it's absolutely, a tricky one, isn't it? It's, no, yeah. it, it is. And I, I, I think I, I love your approach because that's exactly how I, 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 I would be too, I think. And and you're you're being a role model, like you're being a role model for your kids, for your daughters. And like you said, it's not like, hey, you need to do it mom's way. You need to never drink like that. No, like I think our kids need to see see the the pot, like see, see good example, right? You you, mm-hmm. you you naturally see good example. I think they will 
naturally follow or we hope follow that example. But I totally agree with you. That's how I think with my daughter gets older. It's like, no, I want her to make her own mistakes. Yes, not as bad as me or like more like, but I still want her to live her life. Mm. Right. And like I want people to live their life, but I want to continue, I hope to continue being an example. That's all. Just being that show that path that you hate, you know, maybe you don't need to go sober. Maybe you don't have a problem because not everyone has a problem with alcohol. Like it's not fair to say everyone needs to be sober. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I do believe a good chunk of people need to be sober who aren't. They're still fooling themselves, but not everyone has a problem with alcohol. Like my wife, my wife still drinks Mm -hmm. very controlled, very rarely. She can have two glasses of wine and that's it. I don't Mm -hmm. have that. I don't have that option. I don't. So yeah, um, I agree with you. I always think that drinkers are usually quite secretive and I think when it comes to forms and health forms and things like that I know I used to lie all the time about my drinking I'd easily shave off half my units a week on these things and I think a lot of people do that and I do wonder if this kind of issue with alcohol in our society if it's I I think my gut feeling is it's a lot bigger than we can see as data on paper and I do think that people get trapped in the thinking that well I'm not you know I'm not as bad as that person or I I'm not an alcoholic or I don't have alcohol use disorder so therefore I don't have a problem but actually we know um very much that gray area drinking term is very out there and that's getting a little bit more well-known and established but there are all kinds of drinkers in that zone that would benefit from removing alcohol from their life um yeah and that's kind of the message that i think i know i'm certainly trying to push out there um so uh what would you say has been the biggest gain self-love self-love like how i feel about myself i think that's the biggest gain because when you feel good first about yourself then you then you could be so many other things for so many other people but it starts with you mm. so my clarity my attitude uh, my resilience my confidence has never been better and that's all because of of my sobriety and it's and it's played in so many areas of my life now you know my relationships have never been better with my wife with my close family with my daughter um and I found I found a true hobby, passion that I never knew existed in me in this in this in this sobriety. And that's my passion for running. Yeah. And I never ran ever before I was sober. Wow. Ever. Like I play a lot of sports. So I was always active, team sports, hockey, soccer, you know, that kind of stuff. But I never ran. I, I hated running. And I picked it up two and a half years into my sobriety. And that was a total game changer. Like the two pivotal moments is, is when I did, made that identity shift, when I started becoming proud. And then that was, that was a huge moment. But even before that was when I, when I found another passion. Because when, when you kind of start saying no to these things, you're naturally going to get a lot more time back and, and a lot of these things. So I found purpose. I found purpose. And it, it's weird to say purpose in a sport and a hobby, but it doesn't matter. It makes me feel so good. And that activity that I'm doing is my therapy. Yeah. That is my therapy is being on my own for an extended period of time with no phone, just my music I have the chance to get into get in touch with myself. How am I feeling? How's the day going? What's this? What's going on here? Am I doing this right? Okay, maybe I should think about it this way. How would I talk to the like all these things happen when I'm running? Yeah. And it, it it's been it that experience has been the best thing for me is is finding that that other thing, that running. Mm-hmm. And that's part of and, and that's why I love that's why I love talking about running is because not everyone is a runner and I get that. Not everyone is interested. Most people hate running, to be honest. I understand that. Look, I'm running a lot. And to, if I'm honest, half the time I go for a run, I don't want to. Let me say it again. Half the time I'm putting my shoes on, I actually do not want to. But I know, I know once I reach a point in that workout, maybe in the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 
that things are going to change. And I know I'm never going to say when I'm done, oh, I wish I didn't do that. I've never said that. Yeah. I've never said that. So, I love that. I love that. <laughs> it's so true though, isn't it? Because I I uh, love running too. And I am just, I've restarted running um, this year and I read Atomic Habits, which I found quite yeah. life-changing, which is exactly what you were saying. It is easy to have a habit when you feel like doing it. It is not easy when you don't feel like doing it. And that is the time when it matters the most, that consistency thing. And I think that's applicable to sobriety as well. You know, it's great when you're enjoying the books and loving the podcast, but then life happens, you get busy and, you know, things happen at work and blah, blah, blah. And then there's the, the, the daily practice or the, the things that you were doing to support your sobriety, they drop off and then bang, you get caught out with complacency and all of a sudden you get slapped in the face with a big craving and that might make you wobble and and have a drink. So I am so 100% behind that message of it's actually when you don't feel like doing it, that is the time when you have to do it. You have to show up, you know, you have to do it. Exactly. And so I, I love that. Anyone can, anyone can show up when they feel like it. Like any, yes. like that's easy. Yeah. Like think of, think of New Year's, right? Everyone's showing up because it's, uh, it's New Year's resolution time. It's a good fun time to say, I want to get back into fitness, right? So yeah. everyone shows up. But then, you know, February, March, what do the, what do the gyms look like then? Mm. Probably less busy than they were in January because it's easy to show up when you, when it feels good and it's fresh, it's exciting. But, mm. you know, showing up when you don't feel like it, those yeah. are, those are the kinds of people that that you you want to be associating yourself with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's also it that's the that's the work that you really want to be doing is showing up for the things that are good for you when you don't feel like it. If you can yeah. get yourself into that pattern of doing it, for me, I am doing two runs a week because two runs is achievable. It's not five runs, yep. which is very yep. like all or nothing, yep. very typical yep. for me. So I'm doing two runs. I do one run in the week and I do the local park run that is an event that is organized, a free event Beautiful. on a Saturday. I do awesome. that. That's it. If I can do more, great. I often yeah. don't. But if I do those two, take yeah. a pick, I'm there. Beautiful. And, and it's, it's, I go when I don't feel like it. I go when it's raining. I go when it's ah. windy, which is not fun. It's not fun running in the wind. And I always feel good afterwards. And I know, I know that when I'm in it, sometimes when I'm in it, I'm still not liking it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I know. I know. And I just keep thinking, but you will feel great. Like literally in less than 10 minutes. So I do 5k and I just do, you know, it's half an hour. I know in less than 10 minutes, you're going to feel great. You're just going to feel great. It's 10 minutes, Terry. It's literally 10 minutes. You're nearly there. You know, and it's like sometimes that's self-coaching, which I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you do marathons. I mean, that is amazing like not everyone can do a marathon I can see your medals behind you as well I love that I used to put yeah. my medals up on the wall and I used to I, it makes me think I want to do that again I want to hang my medals in you know be proud of yeah. that um That's but it. yeah I, I think finding something like that as well it's just such such a game changer lots of people say don't they with with running and with walking to be honest just getting out in yeah it doesn't have just, to just walking it's exactly it, honestly it's just the the the, um, the routine or the habit of you know putting your shoes on and just yeah. getting fresh air and taking time for yourself that's yeah. what it is yeah. it's not about the races it's not about that all, all that stuff it's just about just just you know clearing your head that's how i look at it it's i am more patient i am uh, more positive as a runner as a sober runner i'll say as a sober runner yeah um so wh- why wouldn't i do it again tomorrow like it yeah. gives me all the reason to just do it, do it again tomorrow you know yes i love that have you got a marathon in mind have you done the london marathon no, but I, that is definitely on my list. It's on your list. Yeah. So I, I want to do all the world majors and London's one of them. Um, I did, uh, so I did Boston qualified for Boston, ran Boston, which is also a major. I'm doing Chicago marathon this year in October qualified for that. Um, so that's my goal. I want to do all the majors and, uh, I just want to make it be clear. Like I'm not a freak athlete. Like, no, I, 
am a zero or 100 type type of person. And when I got into running, I, you know, hated it. It slowly got, got it, got to like it. But then it was around COVID when everything was shutting down and races were being canceled that I said to myself, this is your time to uh, do the opposite, double down. So what I did was I got a, a virtual running coach who it's, it sounds fancy, but it's really not. They, they put together a program for me. I just had that accountability with my running and yeah. I just followed the plan. And, and I put a lot of work in wow. a lot of work and I, but I enjoyed it too. And it, and it just did, and it just did a lot for me. And yeah, and it's, 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 I spending a lot of time running, but it's, my wife is so amazing that we incorporate a lot of my running, especially in the summer, not the winter, winter's cold here in Canada, but in the summers we do it. We do like things as a family where I'll run. I have my daughter Luna in a Thule, which is like a chariot. So I push her and my, my wife's on her bike and we'll be outside for hours. We'll, we'll do a picnic. We'll go somewhere. We'll grab lunch or we'll pack a lunch and we'll, we'll be outside all day. And oh the God. fact that they're with me yeah. and I like to think, you know, with my daughter, I mean, Hey, like daddy, you know, daddy likes to run. She came with me to Boston. Uh, she came with us to Boston and, and she's coming with us to Chicago. And I had her doing these little kid, kid, park uh, runs there's like where she gets a medal a bib like she's so into it oh it's so into it and it, that that brings me a lot of joy so oh, it's not just about me nice. it's like the family's like all on board my wife's always got the jackets that I'm wearing like she's so proud of me and I'm so it just it's such a nice thing to do as it a family is. it is so. so what would be going back to the sober thing what would be your top three tips for people getting sober I have a lot of things that that come to mind. Um, I touched on a little bit, you know, staying close to your why. But I'm actually, I'm going to list a few of them because I knew that question was coming. And I wanted to, I just kind of want to just rip through a few of them. I know that you said three, but I, I, I just, that's how my mind goes. Stay close to your why, know your triggers, set boundaries, growth mindset, which actually maybe I'll talk about. Growth mindset, find a hobby. Talk, talk, talk to, be proud, reach out and connect, celebrate and smile. So that's a lot. But I think one of the biggest ones that I resonate with is, or that I like to talk about a lot is the growth mindset. Mm. Like having that growth mindset is, can set you up, can really set you up you know, I'll give you a couple examples. So, um, you know, at the, you know, at the beginning where I said I was struggling a lot is I felt in a way I felt sorry for myself. So instead of feeling sorry for myself, um, come from that point, that place of forgiveness, compassion for yourself and start making, saying things like all those things needed to happen to bring me to this point. Once you start talking like that to yourself, because self-talk is the most powerful thing you will do for yourself. So you start saying things like, hey, it's okay. That needed to happen for me to be at this point or for me to grow. And when you start talking like that, you're, you're going you're gonna to start feeling a little bit better. And another one is instead of saying things like, I'm never going to drink again, or hey, I'm, I'm, I'm working to get sober. I can never drink. Like, I, don't say that because that's scary. That really is it. like, I never say that still. And I, I honestly take it one day at a time, one run at a time. That's been a huge, huge uh, game changer for me. Um, and then the other one would be, you know, it's easy to think about things you're going to miss out on, right? When you, when you're doing something new, like sobriety, Hey, what am I going to miss out on? I'm going to miss out on these social situations. What are the people close to me going to think all those things? And yes, I can, I, I can relate because I was like that a lot. But you want to start thinking about what are you going to gain? What are you going to gain? Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results, isn't that the definition, definition of insanity, right? Mm. So this, this concept of giving sobriety a chance, being open-minded, that really allows yourself to, to try something different and, and get perhaps a different result. So, you know, what are you going to gain? And we talked a lot about what you're going to gain. So, so try focusing, thinking about that a little bit. So that's a lot about mindset. But I think the biggest one, the biggest one too is 
I think connecting, like don't, don't try to do this alone. Connect. Like there's so many amazing people, amazing podcasts, amazing things like educate and connect. You know, when, when you're, when you're sharing and connecting with somebody, like the bond that you, you form, that's what I love about sobriety too. Eh? And like, that's what I love about running. When I meet a runner, we instantly connect instantly. I don't, it doesn't matter if, if, if they're a park runner on the weekends or, or they run marathons or ultra marathons, we, we get each other. Same with sobriety. We get each other. We, no judgment. I get you, you get me. What we're trying to do is we're both just trying to better ourselves. And there's so much respect there when you meet someone who's a little bit like that or like that. And it's the most powerful, enlightening, empowering thing. So reach out, connect, smile too. The energy you put out is the energy you get back. If you're, if you body language is down, you're feeling down, you're going to attract that smile, connect, connect with other people in my runs. I know I'm talking a lot about running, but what I do when I'm, when I'm in a run and I'm not having, like, I know this is not fun is I try, I'm looking for runners to connect because I want to wave. I want to say, hi, I want to say you're looking strong. Cause when I say that, I feel, I feel good. It, it makes me feel good. So connecting with other people, it, you know, when you're going to the gym and you're saying hi to the receptionist or you're going to the dental dentist office, or the receptionist or anyone, the cashier, say hi and smile. And those little interactions, that human connection is, it, is just going to let your soul on fire. I'm actually getting goosebumps thinking about those, just those little moments. It doesn't have to be hard, complicated. It's, it takes no energy, but it makes the biggest impact on your day. Yeah, it does. Gives me goosebumps too. I think um, <laughs> very inspiring when you say uh, it all. I'm just like, yes, I'm going to go out now and smile at everyone. <laughs> I love it. I love it. If you're open to sharing your journey, which I'm sure you are, where can we find you? Just remind us of the services you've got and the places that we can find you. Yeah. So my handle is Marathon to Sobriety. Um, my wife actually came up with that name. Sobri- and the way I look at it, it's like sobriety is a marathon, right? There's no quick fixes. There's no quick shortcuts. Like you got to put in the work. So marathon is sobriety. Um, for all your for all of your viewers who are listening today, um, if you, I, I put together a guide on how to be the life of the party sober because there's such a, I'm here all the time or you get sober, you're going to lose yourself. You're not going to be fun. So I put together a little guide on how to be It's a bit of a play on words, right? How to be the life of the party sober. So if you go to marathon to sobriety.ca and you sign up for my mailing list, you'll get, you'll get my free guide. Um, a bit of play on words uh, about how to be the life of the party sober. So that's pretty much how you, how you, how you can find me. Um, I also do, you know, recovery coaching, I love working with people, helping them find their, you know, their, their greater purpose, find their, find themselves and hopefully spread that positivity around. Perfect. And just to confirm, that's marathon to numeric to, yeah? Numeric sobriety, to, to sobriety.ca. Yeah. Thank you so much. Luke for making time we we booked this in last minute didn't we we've been trying to do it for a little while I'm so glad that we got to do this today it's really lovely to meet you properly and it's always so nice when you're connected on Instagram and then you finally get to just have a chat with someone yeah it's brilliant yeah Um, and it sounds like you are doing wonderful work and I, I I wish you all the success um, with all the things that you're getting into. And I always feel passionate as well, you know, when somebody is doing it, flying the flag for the boys, because I think that we need more people like you in the male sobriety space. Thank you to everybody for your continued support in listening to this podcast and requesting to come on the show and being brilliant, just like you have been today, Luke. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Terry. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. 
if you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.